0: Trace for yourself with 25% off at Ritual.com slash podcast.
1: Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets. I'm your host. Today is Tuesday, December 30, 2014. Today I share with you an interview with a financial advisor named Paul Merriman, Paul is a really neat guy. He's been suggested to me as a guest by a couple of listeners, and finally we were able to <laughs> get the interview to go after some bouts with his spam filter <laughs> with my interview request. And today I have a feeling this is probably going to be just simply the first in a series of shows that that I do with Paul. Paul has been involved in finance for many, many years. He began his career in the 1960s working briefly as a broker for a major Wall Street firm, then left Wall Street and And went on to work in the venture capital business. In 1979, he became president and chairman of a public manufacturing company in the Pacific Northwest. Retired in 1982, financially independent in his early 40s. And then went on to create an independent investment management firm. Grew that firm to a massive size. Sold that. Retired again. And now he works harder than ever, giving out (laughs) a lot of public education on financial topics. Uh, It's a really great interview, and we talk a little bit about the business of financial advice. I think you'll enjoy that. And also about some specific action steps that individual investors can take that will enhance their lives. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. So, Paul, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate you making time for me today. Boy,
0: I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks,
1: Joshua. I had a couple of listeners actually suggest your name to me. I wasn't familiar previously with your work, but several listeners says you got to interview Paul Merriman. You got to interview Paul Merriman. <laughs> so after enough well, emails, okay. I said fine and <laughs> reached out to you. Uh, where I'd like to begin today is if you're willing, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your professional story, especially as it involves. Uh, financial planning as a business, financial services, and then also your personal progression with financial knowledge.
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, that's, a, that's a treat for me because uh, I love this business. I, I'll give you the end first, and that is I retired a couple of years ago and started the Financial Education Foundation, and uh, all the work that I'm doing is dedicated to educating people how to take better care of their money, which means even for people who have advisors, I'm trying to help them be a better client to that advisor. But it started about uh, 30-some years ago. I had good fortune in business at age 40. In essence, I retired from making money and started an investment advisory firm. Um, It's almost embarrassing to admit that uh, nobody knew that i would be a good advisor and my minimum uh account back in in 1983 was $2,000 per wow. account and i charged 1% which means i would work for you for a year for $20 <laughs> but but uh, it grew and of course it wasn't a business model that would um that would support other people helping me grow and i eventually sold that a couple of years ago and uh, when, when, we, when we did, uh, we had about $1.6 billion, uh, and the Merriman company continues on with uh, the great advisors they have. But uh, I'm, I don't have to worry about that stuff now. I really am worried about the part that I had the most fun with when I was an advisor because I built my business with a marketing plan of, teaching people how to do everything on their own so they would never needed investment advisor and i always felt that took the conflict of interest out of that relationship of the person who's learning from you because if they decide that they can't do it or don't want to do it then they know who they could hire to do the kinds of things that i think they should be doing and that was the way we built our business i'm a little unusual in that I started out in this business as a market timer and uh, uh, and that 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 seems strange for somebody who has probably eighty percent of my money under management when i when I retired was a buy and hold. but when I started the business, we have to remember that the stock market had been the pits for seventeen years. people hadn't made money in the stock market they made it and they lost it and they made it and they lost it, and a lot of people just quit the stock market and and took their money and went home. So a defensive strategy like market timing seemed to make sense. It's something that would fit for people who don't want to have an absolute buy and hold portfolio. And we and we still the company still does that, but the fact is most pol- people are better served with a pure buy and hold strategy. Because market timing is is the hardest of all investment strategies I know for people to find peace of mind, so we built this business eventually the minimum was a hundred thousand, and now it's a half a million and uh and i i I love the days that basically there was no minimum because we could we could help everybody basically, but uh there's only so many hours in the day, as you know Joshua. <laughs> And, and that's kind of the, the, the background. I had the good fortune of getting on uh, with Louis Rukeyser on Wall Street Week. That was huge for my business. I had 400 phone calls that weekend uh, after I was on that show. And, uh, and now when I get on a show like yours, I'm hoping that I can attract people to my, to my website where everything is free, free books free vanguard portfolios, free Schwab and Fidelity and Vanguard ETF portfolios. I've got 100 401k plans that I've looked at and made recommendations, The, the basically the largest 100 plans in the U.S. And I do a podcast and an article every week, and, and my wife chastises me because when I retired, I, I told her I promised I would never work for money again. Joshua, what she thought I said was, I'll never work again. <laughs> Didn't work. So here I am working, and she's in Cozumel with our 19-year-old, uh, diving right now. So, <laughs> But I'm doing what I love.
1: Is that why you do it? Just you, 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 just, you, you purely enjoy it?
0: I love it. I, I love and And I've listened to a few of your shows. I was not aware of your work either uh I love educating people I love changing lives I've got a couple of articles that maybe I'll get a chance to mention that have probably been the 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 most important pieces I've ever written in terms of helping people make better decisions I I I, I really think we can easily add anywhere from a half to 3% a year to most portfolios without having to take more risk and and it's not hard and 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 i just hope that that i can do this for another 10 years so that uh i can change uh, change some more lives i it's it's hard there's a lot of competition out there for uh, for whatever message that you have and and so uh i found a, a bunch of people who were interested in my asset allocation approach uh and and i do i love it and every once in a while i get to talk to one of these people and Help them make a decision to get back to get back on course because you know how often people get off course and yeah. we got to got to teach them how to stay on course because that's where the money is.
1: If we don't get to those ideas, I may bring you on for a whole show on that because I know where you're going from uh, with those ideas. We'll see if we have time, but I want to I want to I want to spend at least the time that we do have here at the beginning, talking a little bit about the financial planning business. But you piqued my interest in talking about $2,000 accounts. I cannot conceive of how it would be possible for anybody to build a firm today with, without minimum accounts. Was it different in, in 1983 when you started?
0: Well, what was different was I had enough money to live on for the rest of my life. I retired at age 40. And so it was a hobby. Uh, that was fine. And the problem became that, that the people who wanted to come to work in, uh, with me were not interested in, in, in a hobby. So, so we had to become uh, more, uh, more normal. And the, the reality is when I look back at those early years, uh, I have great affection for people and the desire to help. But if you take accounts that are too small, you water down the level of service and the level of attention and the devotion to other things that are important other than just talking to the clients and managing the money. And um, I fought taking higher and higher minimums, but in the end, I realized that for an advisor to have any more than 150 to 200 clients is probably not serving the client. Properly right. so, um, and my son, my son saved my life. Uh, in fact, when I get done here, I'm going to catch a ferry and go see my son for breakfast this morning. And and uh, he is the one actually who came into our company and made it a company as opposed uh, to a hobby. And uh, thank God for him because uh, I I kind of worked on the back of an envelope for too many years. In fact. Uh, you talk about the difference today versus uh, what it was like then. My first 10 years in the investment advisory business, I spent no more total than a thousand dollars on lawyers. Wow. <laughs> and today, you can spend that in a day. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Because it, it's 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 tough uh, when 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 you have to do every little thing. By the law, or or you could lose your business. Yeah, it's a big and, deal, and and um, so that is a big deal today that it wasn't then. Hmm.
1: We could actually we could talk about this for hours. I'm not going to, but it's interesting. I actually went through the process. Uh, I had some ideas on how it would be possible for a financial advisor to serve people without having minimums. But the only way that I see to do it is to completely disconnect the the planning fees from the assets under management fees. So to simply just charge a straight flat fee on a monthly basis yeah. that's charged to the client's checking account. And when you consider that as related to a percentage of, of assets, it becomes astronomically high. But uh, when you consider it as regards the total financial planning picture, then I think it's a, it's the only way that people with small accounts, I think, can get good service because you can't... I agree with you. I, I, couldn't, I can't conceive of it any way that I could serve. Do, if I were doing it full time, I can't conceive of any way that I could serve more than 100 to 150 households yeah. uh, effectively. And if you just run the numbers on the gross revenue that you would need for a practice, all of the overhead, some of it legal overhead, some of it technology yeah. overhead to do an effective job. I just don't see how it's possible to be to be done in today's world. I recently I I, I came to the conclusion and I actually just pulled all my RIA paperwork and, and, and shuttered, shuttered the firm because I said I can't do this well so I'm actually going to do a show, try to give away all of my ideas for how I was going to do it to maybe wow. get some other advisors to pick it, pick up the torch and, and, and go with it but I'm, I feel like this show that I'm doing is my most effective use of time and it's something that I can do that some people, I'm a good financial planner, and I'm learning to be a good broadcaster, but I think there are other great financial planners that can fill those shoes, and this is this is the role that I think I can serve well.
0: Well, that's amazing, and, I, and this is maybe too aggressive a question, but how do you make a living then? Uh, because I don't need to make a living doing my podcast and my articles and whatnot, but how do you make a living uh, the the way that you're approaching the business
1: i'm trying to follow the radio model and also trying to follow the the new the, basically what i call the new internet model and I believe that people desire, it's a good question, I believe that people want and are looking for value. And so over the years, the walls that have come down between people who are able to educate and teach and create content and create value, the walls have come down between them and the public. And so in the old days, if I wanted to start, for example, if I were running a firm back in 1990 and I wanted to get on the radio, I would need to go down to the local AM station and I needed to pay them whatever the fees were to, to, to do my Saturday morning financial show. Well, now I can I can host my show and I can put it online. I could actually do it for free I, with poor technology choices. But with great technology choices, let's call it, what, $100 a month? Um, so now, all of a sudden, I can have a global outreach to anybody in the world with no friction in between. I don't have to keep the advertisers happy. I don't have to you know, reach a certain number, and so I can create a niche audience. And then I think that because of the increasing transparency that's come to the world, I think people, my, my, my hope, and I'm proving it, I'm in the process of proving it. It, is that people desire? Uh, people don't mind paying directly for value, and so in financial planning, I feel like we have one of the most effective ways where we can clearly say, "Here are specific financial ideas, and that are going to save you money in the long run, and that it's only just that we get paid for those, um, paid for the work that we do." But so what I'm doing is I'm building it on a voluntary basis, and I'm creating. Mm. Um, a couple, I've, ha- I've struggled a little bit to figure out how to establish it but I'm creating ways for the audience to pay me directly if they find value in the content so the show is completely free and so if they find value in that, con- that ton- content and I try to give away my goal is over the next couple of years to essentially give away a master's degree in financial planning that I've studied mm-hmm. over the years for, for free and then well, wow. people, people can pay yep. me for that and then I'm also kind of working on a freemium model was what they call now where I'm going to build up some additional resources beyond just the show and then those will be available for purchase for people to buy them directly so we'll see if it works but so far I've proved the concept over the last five or six months and so now I'm not yet financially independent but I've been running I have a, 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 a consulting contract which pays my bills in the meantime, which allows me to see if I can get this business going, and I've proved the concept, so now it's time to fully implement it. So That's my plan.
0: I think that's wonderful, and, and uh, I'm going to do what I can to help. I don't know what that will be, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm really impressed, Joshua. And, and We're always looking for people who have others' best interest at heart. I wrote a book. Uh, entitled "Get Smart or Get Screwed": mm-hmm. uh, How to Select the Best and Get the Most from Your Investment Advisor or mm-hmm. Financial Advisor. And I am am uh, very critical of of Wall Street because I I really don't feel they tell the truth. They tell half truths, but the other half can be can be damning or or very harmful to people. And. Um, uh... and and we need more people who are are really working on behalf of what's right for people rather than what's right for the provider because yeah i i think if you've got uh, good material uh... you will you will find the market i'm very excited about that and uh... hope that we can talk again in the future
1: absolutely I appreciate the encouragement. So I want to go back and I want to learn a little bit more about your story because we spend a lot of time on this show talking about early retirement and financial independence. What was your path to establishing yourself to be financially independent at the age of forty?
0: Well, I, I had a checkered past. I'm almost embarrassed to admit that for a couple of years, I was a stockbroker back in the 60s. <laughs> but it didn't take too long to figure out the, what the conflicts of interest were. I, my picture of what it would mean to be a, a stockbroker were entirely different from what it turned out to be. So I left the industry uh, in uh, January of 69, I believe, and did some private venture capital uh, work, raising money for some small companies. And um, uh, one of those companies, along the way, um, got into financial trouble. And I had raised the original money for that company, and I felt obligated. And so, I went to the bank that was about to put them into uh, into uh, bankruptcy, and said, "Look, I'll run this company for nothing." And I, by the way, I. I had no experience to run it, but um, I I believed that the bank would trust that I would do some things that would be in the company's best interest, and they got the company turned around, and then I wanted to go home because I had other things I was working on, and they offered to pay me. And part of what they paid me was in stock, and uh, that stock turned out to be worth enough at age 40 that I never had to work again if I didn't want to, but I'm a workaholic. And, um, and so uh, I'm one of these people that, uh, that believes in affirmations, and the company that I started and built was built based on a handful of three-by-five cards, a series of affirmations about what I wanted that company to, to, to be to people, uh, how it would treat people, et cetera, and everything that we did for the 30 years I was there had to do with those three-by-five cards. I think Informations are one of the most powerful things in terms of, of of leading us in our life towards towards the best. So that's that's kind of how I got there. Um, I love businesses. I'm I'm kind of an entrepreneur. I've owned a, a jewelry making and lapidary equipment and supply house, uh, and um, I've, I've done a lot of things that, that um, didn't have to do with managing money, but the 30-year career in the business of educating and managing money, it was the most fun of all.
1: When you say affirmations, you're referring to writing down a, a series of ideas. Uh, for example, we serve our clients with the highest quality products and insert the industry, and then reviewing those on a daily or regular basis?
0: Every day, I, I, when I, as I was driving to work, I had those three-by-five cards in my hands, reading them uh, out loud. I'm sure people, that's before cell phones, people probably thought I was nuts, but uh, uh, that's what I did every morning on the way to work. I had about a half-an-hour drive, and, and, uh, and it moved me to, to starting all over again and doing something I wasn't trained to do.
1: Who inspired you with that uh, technique?
0: Oh, a guy named Lou Tice from Pacific Institute. Um, I'm, I'm always amazed at the randomness of, of, of life because um, I was at a Boys and Girls Club auction, and I won a bag of quarters, and there turned out to be about 300 bucks worth of quarters. And so then this, this three-and-a-half-day workshop that Lou Tice puts on came up for bid, and I bid my bag of quarters. <laughs> and, and that bag of quarters turned into, um, I mean, literally, when I look at how little I put into my company and and what it paid out and, and sold for and all those kinds of good things, not counting the sweat equity, it was about a 30% compound, little more than 30% compound rate of return over a 30-year period, which... It's way more money than I ever needed or, or wanted, but it just happened, and uh, uh, but it all started with that bank of quarters.
1: Was one of your aspirations from a beginning and an affirmation, you know I, Paul Merriman, am financially independent at the age of forty uh, with a net worth of x number of dollars, or was it accidental that you became wealthy and financially independent?
0: You know, I was like so many young people. Uh, I wanted to be a millionaire. I I grew up in a in an environment of physical abuse, and and uh, money it, it was a way of getting out of that. And um, while I didn't do everything to do, I mean, my life wasn't all about money. I was focused on becoming financially secure. That that because there was a sense when I was a kid that that you had more freedom if you were financially secure and people couldn't hurt you. So and I suspect a lot of your listeners have, have grown up in similar situations. And it pretty much screws us up, but, but that's what happened. Uh, the outcome was okay. I'm not complaining about the outcome. But um, um, the, the, uh, um, the million dollars is so strange today. When I talk to young people about how much money would you like to have someday it's still a million dollars right, Joshua right It should be six or seven million dollars compared to the million I was thinking about in terms of inflation but but that was what I wanted and uh, but but I never really never had a focus on how much would each thing make. I always felt and I think This is true of a lot of people who are successful who don't have a lot of talent. I think if you can figure out a need that people have, treat them with a TLC, help them solve problems. Half the problems I solved for my clients had nothing to do with my business. But if I had a way to help somebody, I wanted to figure out how to do that. And I didn't do it because I was trying to get deeper in their pocket it it was just it was just the the way i guess i was i, I was raised i was raised very close to the church and they'll do unto others and 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 I was raised by uh a, a, a stepfather who was a Democrat who believed that everybody was actually actually equal. I liked that about him and and so there were a lot of these things that I learned, and we all learned these kinds of things that then make us whatever we are. And I don't think being a success is all that complex as long as you really care about other people and you're not an idiot and you're willing to work hard.
1: When you advise and counsel younger people who come to you for advice and wisdom, do you begin with a series of goal setting and affirmations or do you begin with the technical aspects of perhaps their financial plan?
0: Well, let me make sure I understand. Uh, are, are are you asking in terms of coming to me for advice on investing, specifically?
1: Let me give you some background, and then you can you can comment. I've struggled with this okay. question. One of the one of the things. So, over the years, I, I don't feel qualified at the moment. I'm 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 almost thirty, and I I have enjoyed quite a bit of success, but not much of it is the kind of thing that a popular magazine would write an article on me about. So I consider myself to be living a very successful life, but I define it differently than other people. However, some of the success industry, and that's often Kind of what I refer to is where you learn, to, where you go to learn about goal setting and building plans and goal achievement and affirmations, um, has been very influential in my life. I remember the first, my first exposure to podcasting was I, I discovered when I was in college the Zig Ziglar Inspiring Words of Encouragement podcast. Yeah. And I, I started yeah. listening to Zig, then I bought all of his programs, and I remember, <laughs> and that was a major influence for me, and I remember he used to uh, have an exercise where he would have people write out uh, a series of affirmation cards, uh, Where, but his were not necessarily focused on the goals that you have, but rather on who you are, and he would have his uh, participants recite in the mirror every, every morning, uh, looking at themselves in the morning and at night, and recite this, uh, this uh, several paragraphs. So, for example, it was I, Joshua Sheets, am a caring, competent, professional, you know, and it went on and, and kind of it, all of these character qualities. And that was a very inf- a great influence in my life. And I can think of two specific sure. goals that I set over the years. When I was in college, I had student loan debt, and I got inspired to get out of debt. And I wrote down a goal, and I said, I want to get out of debt by the time I graduate from college. And I didn't see any possible way for me to do it because I, was, I owed more money than I was making, and I still had to pay for college. And I couldn't see any way for me to actually achieve the goal, but I wrote it down. And then there were a series, there was a bunch of action steps. But all of a sudden, I woke up and two weeks, late, two weeks before I graduated from college, I wrote a check to Sally Mae and paid off my student loans. And I said, How did that oh happen? I don't know how that happened. Another example yeah. was I had written down a goal of earning $100,000 a year by a certain age, I think it was 25. And I had wrote, written it down on my – when I was every day just kind of going through my goals and writing them down and I discovered – So, but I didn't see any way to do it. At the time, I was making forty, forty-five thousand dollars 45000 and I was 22, 23 years old and I'm thinking like I don't see any way for me to do it. Well, I wound up getting laid off, and I woke up at 25 years old in the financial services industry, and I had forgotten about the goal because I had quit doing that exercise a few years previously. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there I was, and I said, wow, I'm actually in the position <laughs> of making six figures, um, and, it, and I didn't even really intend it. I didn't, I, I didn't know how I was going to get here. So my question is, I've, I've wanted to integrate these two things with uh, in financial planning, because oftentimes, when you go to a success uh, seminar of some kind, it may be very encouraging, and it may be very motivational, and you feel awesome when you walk out. But oftentimes, my experience is that you don't have a a series of action steps or a clear plan to go from here to there. So people say, I want to be a millionaire. Well, what's the next action that you can take toward that goal? But on the other side, you get to financial planning, and technical financial planning often emphasizes, well, you need to put 15% on your 401k. You need to allocate it in in this, this, this. And you haven't connected with the heart, with the goals and what I see is I see them as fully integrated that everything should start with goals and you should lay out everything like big picture and then our job is to figure out do the best we can of setting charting a course of how we can potentially achieve it. If you want to be a millionaire at 30, you're not going to do that by getting a, an entry-level minimum wage job and saving 10%. You need to go and get started on, on learning business skills so you can start a business. That's the only way to do it. And so I try to bring them together, but I've not found many financial people that do, and I, I, I don't know sometimes how to actually do it. So that's the background of my question.
0: Well, I'll, 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 I can respond in terms of of uh, the kind of direction i I try to give young people in terms of the investment process, uh, I unfortunately look at investing as successful investing as being about ninety nine point nine percent mechanical ninety nine point nine percent defense, not offense. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and, and I really think that it is important that young people see the end result as a part of establishing what they're doing today. So I have three articles, four articles, really, I think, that are, are must-reads. But one of them is about distributions in retirement. And my view is, is that you have no idea how much you need to save, what return you need to make, what risk you need to take, and all of those kinds of things that go to putting that plan and, and, and the action steps together, unless you know how much you're going to have, and not just how much you're going to have, but how much are you going to take out. Are you going to take out 3% a year, 4%? My wife and I take out 5% a year we take it out at the first of each year everything is mechanical and and so um, i'm trying to get people to dream about the future that's not mechanical but once you've established kind of what that picture of what life should look like when you finally do reach retirement uh... what are the specific mechanical step-by-step things that need to be done what are the asset classes you should own? What mutual funds best represent those asset classes? How much should you have in stocks and bonds, which, which, which is going to lead to how your portfolio is going to be constructed? And I want people not just to look at the positive side of this process, but I want them to understand that if you follow my advice, or probably yours, Joshua, I can guarantee you you will lose money. I guarantee it. And people kind of say, whoa, wait a minute, you're you guaranteeing you're going to, what kind of an advisor are you? Right. And my answer is that you are not likely to be a success unless the amount of money that you're going to face in terms of losses are within some limits that you have. Because most people, as we know from the Dow bar studies, most people don't make it, not because the stock market isn't great for the long term, but they can't take the pain for the short term. Right. So it's a combination of putting that dream of the future together with what they can do. Now, I, uh, I, I'm i a little taken back by your comment uh, about the, you've got to go start a business. Now, maybe if you want to make a lot of money mm-hmm. fast, you've got to go start a business. Uh, although I found it doesn't come all that fast, <laughs> but but... But I do believe that people who work in regular jobs ought to be able to take legitimate steps that, that, that create great wealth for themselves. Now, what great is is a bit subjective, but great wealth for themselves and great wealth for others who survive them. In one of my articles, Joshua, it, it, I, I point to an extra half of 1%, 8 versus 8.5. Over forty years of accumulating and twenty five years of distributing and then leaving money to others, the difference between eight and eight and a half percent is two million dollars. And you and I know so many ways to pick up that extra half of one percent. Absolutely. And some sometimes it's just like, like bending over and picking up money off the ground, it's so easy. Right. Seriously. Right. And 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 so uh, my job, and I think your job, is uh, to help people understand what the payoff is for a little effort, because it's not a lot of effort. These kids, I have a university course that, that, at Western Washington University that I support financially, and it's for it's a personal investing course for non finance majors. That's what it's built to be. But if we can get them to make the right steps from the day they come out of college and they start. Whether they're nurses or teachers or biologists, whatever they are, and they're doing the right things with their money. This is life changing for them. And at the end of the day, I know the money I give away is not because I'm stealing it from somebody. I give a lot of money away because I had the good fortune of saving and working hard and waiting, delayed gratification, waiting, waiting. <laughs> But there's a huge payoff at the end if we can delay that gratification.
1: Right. Absolutely. Let me clarify what I was saying with regard to the business. What I was using is as an example of of illustrating that, okay, if you are at the age of 22, you're graduating from college, and you've set a goal of having a million dollars accumulated at uh, the age of 30 – and you're earning $40,000, and you're not doing something where you're going to build your income from forty to 400000 if you're just going to take the, take the approach of saying, I'm going to save 10%, so $4,000 invested over 10 years, in order, to, so from, actually I did it at 20, from 20 to 30, you, that would require a 57% annual return to grow $4,000 yep. per year of contributions to a million dollars at the age of 30. So it's not possible to do with publicly traded securities. Now, it might be possible to do with a real might be with a really brilliant, uh, with a really brilliant uh, business growth, and in fact, you might be able to grow a business from. I've had several clients who have done this. Very risky. Um, the, the, there's no guarantee of success, but I've had several clients who have gone from nothing to businesses valued far in excess of a million dollars by the time they reach their they reach their 30s. So the point is, my point was was that. If your goals are aggressive like that, you need to look at your plan and see, is my plan going to actually, does it have a possibility of success? If your goals are to be wealthy um, over a course of a few decades and you have enough income to where you can save enough and you can define that wealth, well, in that situation, then publicly traded securities, um, man, just toss the money in a, in a, in a well-built portfolio and go, on and, and, and go on vacation with your family. And you don't need the hassle necessarily of running the business if you're happy with your career and with your salary. That's the point I you,
0: was making. You know, I think that's... I think that's very important. I, uh, in my company, uh, Ryan Beck, he uh, works at the trading desk. Uh, Ryan uh, is the son of a very dear friend uh, from college days, and he's been with the company for a l- ever since he got out of college. Uh, maybe he's been with the company for 20-plus years. And Ryan is a guy who does a fantastic job but at five o'clock he's done. Right. He's got a life. I didn't have a life in a sense. My well, my life was taking care of 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 uh of, of clients. Mm-hmm. And I put in long hours. i get up at three o'clock in the morning and go into work. And in fact I was up at three <laughs> at uh, three o'clock this morning. So, so you know there, there are, and, and and to be honest, and there's a downside of all this. I, I'm on my fourth wife.
1: Oh wow! How did you
0: survive that now,
1: financially? Did you?
0: <laughs> well, you know it wasn't easy. Wow! Because they always got a little more than half a uh, half of whatever it was worth. <laughs> right. <laughs> by, by the way, they're all wonderful people, and 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 uh, uh, something good came out of all those marriages, but. But my focus was not on my family like it should have been. And so there's, there could be a serious price to pay to have a lot of money. And, and so uh, my hope is that I don't ever encourage people to do what I did. I started at 19, by the way, which was, I mean, that was really dumb. Um, the good news is uh, my, I had kids when I was young. And so that was that. That made life different because when I got older, then my kids were grown. I mean, I wasn't very old when my kids were already grown. Mm -hmm. And then I was crazy enough to adopt two Chinese girls, so I started all over again. I mean, there's nothing about my life that makes much sense, but I found an area where, and I think this is true of a lot of us, I found an area where I could add value in the world. Absolutely. And I did that well. I am mechanically the most. Uh, 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 I'm all thumbs. I, I, I cannot deal with mechanical problems. My mind does not deal well with fixing things. And yet, when it comes to fixing the portfolio, I, I just I, I have a sense. I, I every client I ever met with, I felt I knew what they should do in order to get themselves back on track and and be a successful investor. Doesn't mean that I was always right but i but i've had a strong sense i knew how to fix that problem i suspect you do too <laughs> and and so my, my view is i've done a good job with what the talents that i that i have in helping people other parts of my life i wish i had been very had been very different but i think we have to be careful what we wish for and uh And if I can just help a whole bunch of people who are working hard for a living and want to go home at five o'clock and to get them to do the right thing bet- besides put their money into a target date fund, which is not a bad decision, you just leave a lot of money on the table right, right. And I want to help them make that extra half or one percent. So that's what my website paul dot com is devoted to. Uh, and and so I really appreciate the chance to share what I'm doing with the, with your listeners.
1: It's really encouraging uh, to me as a young advisor to hear you talk about <laughs> your mechanical incompetence. Because in many ways, I feel exactly the same way. When I go to work on something and to fix something on you know on a car or on the house. I feel utterly incompetent, but financial planning at this stage, when somebody describes a financial situation or a financial problem, it's—I I never understood what artists talk about when they talked about—they just saw the picture. But for me, it's almost become that way where I can just see. I think I can just see clearly. Oh, this is the solution. Here's the here's the missing problem, and it just—it comes to me so easily now compared to how it used to, and then also compared to how some other people seem so overwhelmed by it. So. It's it's encouraging to me to hear that you, being I don't know, 40 years down the road, a little farther, have a similar experience. Yep. yep. Um, here's what I like to do in the in the few minutes that we have left. Uh, we're going to have to do some more shows uh, together. We're going to have to do a show on. Um, how to increase long-term returns with some asset allocation tweaks, which is what you're referring to with optimizing a portfolio. And then also probably, if you're willing, we could do a show at some point on how to effectively work with a financial advisor. But you mentioned four articles that in your mind are must reads. Could you describe those articles and describe the concepts that are in them as far as why you feel they're so foundational for somebody to, to be aware of?
0: Uh, and, absolutely Joshua and if you read an article entitled six decisions every investor must make it actually links to these articles and that article is at marketwatch.com the, one of the uh, articles is about asset class selection and the the uh, the title of uh, the of an article that i i've written it updated it for 10 years uh it's called the ultimate buy and hold strategy and the ultimate buy and hold strategy simply shows investors the impact of starting with a portfolio that 60% S&P 500 40% fixed income then we make a little tweak we add a little REITs we add a little small cap we add a little large value we add a, a little uh international some emerging markets but you end up with about 10 different equity asset classes. And all the time that we're doing each addition, we're showing what's happening to risk so that people understand when they put in a little slice of small cap value, they're not changing the risk factor, but by a very, very small amount and so at the end of that article it shows very clearly how easy it is to increase your returns by maybe one and a half percent with 60 sixty forty portfolio by simply adding uh... indexes and by the way there's another uh, big decision how are we going to build a portfolio of these asset classes and that means i think index funds for ninety nine percent of investors And I've got another article entitled, 30 Reasons I Love Index Funds. And if you could even find five of them that made sense uh, and and would say, hey, that makes better sense than what I'm doing. But read all 30 and realize how powerful these index funds are. And then I have a portfolio, I mean, an article called Fine-Tuning Your Asset Allocation." because how much in stocks and bonds is going to drive your return is going to drive your risk and i've built a table of 11 columns of numbers and every column is a different combination from all fixed income to all equity in 10% increments what does it do from 1970 through 19 uh, to 2013 one year at a time. Look at every year. Uh, uh, Just imagine this is the ride you're on with each of these columns. And of course, the more equity, the wilder the ride, and the higher the return historically. So they're all things that people know intuitively, but I want them to be able to kind of feel it as they look at these numbers, what it might be like doing that. And then there's the distribution article, because at the end of the day, there are many different ways to take, to take money out of your investments. I show aggressive ways, moderate ways, conservative ways. I show fixed distributions. I show variable distributions. I show distributions for couples that what is a spender and one is a saver. What's the best solution for that couple so that both the saver and the spender feel like they're being treated fairly? A lot of it is a combination of kind of dealing with numbers and emotions to get people to find peace of mind. It's always looking for better returns at less risk and trying truly to build a peace of mind for the investor that they don't worry about the por- about their portfolio because there are wives who are driven... Nuts by their husbands who spend all their time worrying about what's going to happen on the stock market the next day. I don't know if I can change that for people, but I I do for everybody, certainly. But I do know I've changed it for a lot of people who have written to me and said, I now have peace of mind. I'm not worrying about my money. That's, That's the end result I'm after. Right.
1: Yeah I'm I'm convinced that in many cases women make better investors than men. I've worked with some clients and I just
0: Well, you know something the said, I, I, there's go ahead. an interesting that's a that's an interesting question, Joshua, because uh, my experience is they don't take enough risk. True. They tend to be better buy and holders because right. they're not sure what to do and also it's very difficult because women are so unbelievably loyal and if they're in investments that are not in their best interest but they like the person who put them in the portfolio it is very difficult to get them to make the changes and in my case where i'm not their financial planner i'm just an educator it's even more difficult because i'm not there to kind of overcome each one of those sales pitches that they're getting from the broker who's getting a big commission from them.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's... it's you know, that's another show topic I need to put on my show that I haven't talked about because there are advantages and disadvantages. I think if you, can, if you can build a portfolio that satisfies somebody who is uncertain, male or female, somebody who's uncertain with, uh, with risk, if you can satisfy that in other ways, and my secret weapon has always been financial planning, and people often don't understand that, but I say satisfy the risk needs with intelligent, um, with intelligent planning. Example, I had one client that I worked with that was a, a nearing retirement and i could not get I, like the the but we we discovered through the process that we could keep the portfolio invested in a fairly aggressive manner if we kept I think it was something like sixty thousand dollars in the checking account at all times. So yeah. we would make a joke, and the husband and wife would come in, and the husband would laugh. But his, but his wife, she was she was amazing lady, and her rule was as long as I've always got at least sixty thousand bucks in the checking account, then I'm good. I don't I don't worry about the investments. And so sometimes yeah. it would creep up, and sometimes they'd have a hundred thousand and a hundred. And I'd say, you know, you want to do you want to go ahead and move some of that money over here? And well, as long as we keep sixty, <laughs> it was it was yeah. good. So I think that's. That's a secret tool of, of we've got to a, address that risk in, in other ways rather than everything being done with an investor profile questionnaire.
0: I think so. And um, and there's a, I have a list of about 25 different risks that people need to manage. Uh, I'm a terrible list maker. I, I wake up and make a list immediately. Um, but I, I think if we can get people to to squarely view what risk is, and there are so many of them, and see how every one of those risks are being addressed uh, in a in a legitimate way that is is good for them for the long term. I think we can turn some of these people around, and sometimes the success may be uh, to get that person who has all that money in a checking account uh, to put... Thirty thousand of it into a short-term bond fund mm-hmm. at Vanguard. Right. Something just a baby step. Baby steps are are, are powerful. Even uh, even putting twenty percent in equities with the super conservative people is enough to probably add about one point one to one point two to the compound rate of return. Life changing. Life changing. Right. And and to understand that the risk they're taking is so so small baby steps for most people and then you put enough of those baby steps together and you've made and you've made a huge huge leap that's what i believe if we can combine the baby steps we can leap we can really leap absolutely
1: last question on that theme and then i'll give you the last word as you answer this question one other way that I've been thinking about of dealing with risk, and I've actually recognized in myself, and I'm very concerned about this as a trend in the industry, is the trend toward putting all of the assets into qualified accounts that can't be touched for young people. And I've been thinking, I have a one-year-old son, I've been thinking a lot about potentially, even though it's inefficient from a technical tax perspective. I am thinking about encouraging people in some way of making their first investment something that's going to flow income into their actual checking account because the purpose of investing is to create cash flow is to create is to grow money but ultimately we can only spend cash and I think that we have in the years past, many people may have had a portfolio perhaps of dividend paying stocks where they had uh, income coming in and Coca-Cola sent them their quarterly dividend. And so I don't think they worried too much because Coca-Cola's share price wandered around by 15% in any random quarter or year. That wasn't really a big deal because the dividend checks didn't really really change that much. But now... I, I realized this that I focused so much, starting investing at the age of 18, and everything, all of my investments were in qualified accounts, and I never had the opportunity to actually spend the money. I never had the opportunity to feel the joy of actually spending money that my investments did, made for me instead of me going out and earning it with my time. And I think that if we could help people connect a little bit to, their, to actually that the purpose of investing is going to be income and cash flow at some point in time, and it's not all deferred into retirement accounts, that might help them to alleviate some of those behavioral problems of the fear of, I've got to have this account there, but I'm watching it Wander around by, you know, by fifteen percent because there's no income that they mentally associate with it. Then there's just everything is based upon the principal value, and that principal value is, can be so arbitrary and capricious at any sp- pr- certain yeah. point in time. That that's one of my ideas that I'm thinking might be a good behavioral trick, especially for young people to to consider. What do you think?
0: It, well, it's confusing to me uh, when I'm thinking about the kind of story that I tell. Uh, about putting that money aside and having it grow, uh, and and that anything that uh, uh, limits that growth, for example, I hate target funds because they, I don't hate them, but I disapprove of them for young people because they put ten percent of the money in bonds. Mm-hmm. That's holding them back what is 10% of bonds going to do for somebody? If we have a market that goes down 50%, is that 10% in bonds supposed to make them feel good, like it really protected them from having a big loss? No, they've still got a big loss. Right. But what it does on the way up is it it, it reduces the return historically uh, by a half of 1%. For every 10% you have in bonds. Now, I'm not suggesting that people not have uh bonds forever I, yeah there's a time I'm 50% in bonds uh and so I do believe in bonds but not for a young person and so where I'm having emotionally problem with what you're addressing is that Here I'm always thinking about okay, let's 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 make sure that we invest this certain amount of money and let it grow and let it grow on itself because because a five cent piece of bubblegum in two thousand years at three percent inflation will cost two point three trillion billion dollars. That's the growth of three percent. Right. And so I'm we're not gonna get to two point three trillion billion, but I'm trying to make sure that you make this for the long term, because then at age 65, which seems like a long time for a 30-year-old, I'm sure. But at 65, all of a sudden, everything turns around, and it's distribution instead of accumulation. And how much distribution, well, the more you put aside and the smarter you were on how you put it aside over those years is going to increase the amount of money that you have. And if you have saved, let's say, 50% more than you really need to save in order to retire, which is what, what... many of our clients did then all of a sudden you can take out more you aren't relegated to 4% you could take out 5 you could take out 6 because you overstayed there's a whole there's a whole rhythm to that in my mind Joshua and what you're suggesting it may be a great idea i've never thought about it but it's contrary to the way my Uh, kind of my focus is in trying to get people to make a commitment to the long term. Uh, I think maybe what needs to be done there to help a little bit is for people who are just starting to invest uh, it's a relatively small amount of money, and we're their investment advisor and we're telling them that we're gonna show them how to have a two million dollar portfolio and all they're putting in is a hundred dollars a month or two hundred dollars a month. Right. They can't feel it being worth two million. But what if we told them, Look, I'll tell you how to benchmark this. Let's look out two years. How much would you have to have in two years to be on track for your two million dollars. How much in four years? How much in ten years? And and we all know how to do this, but to get them to realize that if they can go from this two thousand dollars to this five thousand dollars, they're on track for their two million. Right. They don't believe it half the time, by the way, because they're not statistically driven. Right. I mean when when here's what we're working with, Joshua, and it ain't easy. About half the people Surveyed, believe that putting money into their company stock is less risky than putting money into the S and P 500.
1: <laughs> really, <laughs>
0: that's <laughs> what we're working with.
1: Unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me. I haven't seen that study, but it doesn't surprise yeah. me a bit.
0: Wow. So it's been a, it's been it's been great fun, Joshua, Absolutely. and and I'm excited about what you're doing, and I, I look forward to coming back and joining you again. I hope we didn't bore people with our personal stories, but, but uh, I, I can tell you that, that I enjoyed it and look forward to talking with you again.
1: Paula. thank you so much for making the time to come on, and we will connect again soon.
0: Good deal. Take care. Happy holidays.